Okay, well, I wanted to start um, this evening to tell you just a little bit about my first place for health story. And, um, and in that, I can't not give some glory to God. This was May in 1992, October of 92. That's me on the right. And then um, this was me on the left in 1996. And um, that's my, my stepmother is right next to me. And then the two ladies on the right are our dear friends. Um, that was right before I, I got a call to go to Russia for two years. And then this was me with my daddy in um, 1999. And then this awful outfit that I have on. Well, I didn't put the polka dot one up there, Aww. but fat friends don't, friends don't let fat friends wear African outfits. I mean, that's the kind of where that is on that. Who was that with you? Who's the guy? That was uh, some, I don't even remember his name. When we oh. did a mission trip, he was, yeah, it was a one-night thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I would pick anybody up in that outfit. I mean, give me a break, guys. Come on, let's get real here. Uh, it was, I was in Africa for, for a week, and he was my partner, um, and we went into a village, and we were white, and so people came out to hear us, so whatever it takes. And then this was me in 2001. I say you look 20 years younger. She Praise yeah. the Lord. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Praise yeah. The Lord. Wow. Praise the Lord. And then this is my polka dot one. This is the one I, friends don't let my friends wear polka dot. This was in um, November of uh, 2004. And there's just one that's pregnant there, and that's in the middle. And <laughs> this was me about a year later. Uh, in January of that year, of 2005, I called out to the Lord, and I said, Lord, is, is gluttony the only thing you can't deliver me from? And I've shared with some of you guys already, and, and he said, um, okay, let me, let's just get a couple of things straight here. Number one, there is nothing I can't deliver you from. The blood is sufficient. You know, it's done. We are, we walk in victory. And it's been taken care of. But I need you to help me out here a little bit. So I need you to push back from the plate a little bit. I need you to exercise a little bit. And so I started doing that. And um, I lost about uh, 20 pounds. And um, Bob, I need your belt. Bob, I started losing weight, and I did about 14 to 1,500 calories, but, and I lost about 20 pounds and was exercising a couple of times a day, which is a whole other story. I mean, I don't recommend it, but just the where, where I was in my life, I could do it, so I did, and without, because I'm without excuse. No kids, you know, no husband. I live in a, uh, I moved to a new city. I didn't have a whole lot of friends at that time, so why not exercise? I could either watch TV, eat, or exercise. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of deep spiritual discernment to figure out what the Lord would probably want me to do in that process. And so I, um, so I lost about 20 pounds, and then um, I kind of plateaued because I didn't have any carbs in my diet. It wasn't balanced because I'm an all-or-nothing girl, so pasta's my drug of choice, so I just don't have any. Um, it was in July of that year of 2005 that um, I spoke at a Sunday school class. I was a sub at a Sunday school class, and Carol happened to be in that class, and she came running up afterwards, I mean, almost before I got my amen out and said, um, hey, would you come and um, would you teach a first place for health class? And um, so I, you know, through a series of events, made that decision. And I thought, well, if I'm doing first place for health, if I'm leading it, you know, I need to do the program. I mean, I know that is rocket science. I mean, I know that this is like overwhelming for a lot of people. But, but really, I mean, the commitment should be something that we should do on a regular basis. Our job simply as leaders, it's very simple. You turn on the light, you work your program. That's what we do. And, um, and so I started doing it, and the Lord was gracious, and I lost another 20 pounds after that and, um, and got to my goal of where I am right now. I was 208 pounds. It's all numbers. It's, I was 208 pounds. I've been as far as 163. I'm at 171 right now. Um, I wear a size 12, a, a cheap 14, and a, and, a, and a very expensive 10 is usually where I fall in on that. <laughs> Um, but, it, you know, I've been through all the, you know, I've always been a big girl, you know, was a juniors, I didn't know they went lower than 13, you know, I thought they became a 13 because I was junior, so you were 13, and so it's nice to be able to go into the non-fat area and, you know, the large woman area and, you know, just get, pick up, I mean, these are Goodwill jeans, $12, who would, you normally, I can never find things, and size 12, and lucky jeans on top of that, $12. <laughs> so, um, 
Some of you guys have heard about, I just got to brag on, on my boys. I don't have a husband or kid to talk about, so I can talk about my boys. These are my boys. Um, they uh, belong to Andrea and Bodie Jenkins, who are, um, they're my brother and my sister. And I'm blessed to have been a part, the Bible says he puts the solitary in the families. And when Andrea and Bodie built their dream house, they built Aunt Beck's room. And it is my room. I picked out the color. It's decorated the way I want. There's pictures. It's like my room. The pictures are in the room. We go on vacation together. This was our vacation, actually, the year before. And then Jared, Blaine, and Jacob are my boys. And I'm blessed to have them. Bodie called me in 2004, that Christmas, right before, early, early, like right around Thanksgiving, and asked me, Becky, where are you going to go for Christmas? And I said, well, I don't know, Bodie, because I've moved out to Houston from Atlanta, and you know, you mo you know, who's moved, and you wonder really who your friends are, you know, back, you know, back home, and so I said, I don't know, Bodie, and, and Bodie said, I want my boys to wake up every Christmas morning with Aunt Beck in the house, so will you come stay, and so Bodie and Andrea are my brothers and sisters, and they're my family, and they love me, and they have graciously extended me an offer to continue to stay in Houston, but at the minute the Lord calls me back home, they'll be more than happy to bring me back home. So that's who I am, and give you a little, one more thing, Tim. I'm blessed to, um, I don't have any spiritual children, as I said, but there's a scripture in Isaiah that says the barren women, woman will have multiple spiritual children, and these are just some of my spiritual children. Um, the two boys in the back, the two ones, Rob on the left and Jesse on the right, um, I've known them since pre-born. I've prayed for them pre-born. They're now 16 years old, and it gives me the right when they go and pick up some floozy girls on the beach at vacation for me to say, what are you doing hanging around? They're dressed like whores. What are you doing with those boys, with those girls? And so, um, because I pray for these guys on a daily basis, and I actually have a list of 30, and um, Vicky's kids are on my list, and um, they are, um, my favorite prayer is day 13, and day 13, I pray that uh, all the kids, all my kids will go to the altar virgins, and they'll marry virgins. In our culture today, that's an absolutely impossible prayer. But I'm believing for that, and I'm believing for my boys and my girls that are on my list for that to happen. And um, they range in age from, they're all born now, the youngest was born in August, um, to Vicky's oldest, who, Megan, who's 30. So that's my family. And they love their Aunt Beck, and they know Aunt Beck's going to shoot straight with them and not mess with them. One other little note, my email address is wrong. And so um, in, the, in your handout, but it's really easy to remember Becky at BeckyTurner.com. If you have problems with that, then we probably have some bigger issues we need to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> I want to share, what I want to share on tonight is from the parable of the sower. It's a common parable that many of you guys know. And, um, but we're going to hopefully look at it in a little different light. It's been on my heart um, a lot for the past two weeks. Um, and as I was studying and preparing for it, I ran across a message that Charles Spurgeon did on it, talking about sowing and thorns, and that's the main area we're going to hit. And, I mean, I'm not kidding. It, it took everything in me to not just stand up here and read that message because he really did. He, I mean, he's, he's good, you know. <laughs> he knew his stuff. He knew his stuff. But he started out with this paragraph that I wanted to share with you. When that which comes of his sowing is unfruitful, the sower's work is wasted. He has spent his strength for nothing. Without fruit, the sower's work would even seem to be insane, for he takes good wheat, he throws it away, and loses it on the ground. Preaching is the most idle of occupation if the word is not adapted to enter the heart and produce good results. Oh, my hearers. If you are not converted, I waste time and energy standing here. If you do not bring forth fruit to holiness and the end is not everlasting life, it would be better employed, I would be better employed breaking stones on the roadside than in preaching to you. And that is my heart's cry, my friends. I have no desire to inspire you or entertain you. I, that might happen by default. I don't want that. I want transformation. I want differences. And I hope to give you a real practical things that you guys can do to walk out of here that hopefully will motivate you to choose change. Because we can be different. There is nothing, absolutely nothing in our life that is too difficult for God. you got death in your life. He is the life. 
You got dryness in, the, in, in your life. He is the living water. You got hunger in your life. He is the bread of life. He is our all in all. And I challenge you, if you've got something in your life that you don't believe Jesus can be the solution for that, in all honesty, I'm telling you, because we do believe that, because our actions belie our truth, our beliefs. If you have something in your life that you do not believe the Lord can come in and do a great work, or you need to know, you need to know he can, come to me. And we will search, and I promise you, I promise you in Jesus' name that he will provide you a verse that you can cling to. And it's not just, you know, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. I'm telling you, it's all in the scripture. There is nothing. Titus tells us everything we, everything we need for a life and godliness is in this word. And you know what it is, the problem? We don't know it. I do not read the word enough. I don't read it enough. I do not know it enough. I don't memorize it enough. Everything we need is right here. I challenge you. And I'm going to give you some words tonight. I'm going to give you some verses tonight. And hopefully there will be things that you can impact you and change your life. But if you need more words, you got my email. I'm free. I have no encumbrances. It would be my delight and my desire to spend time and minister to you and pray with you and believe with you. And hopefully you'll get some mercy, but just FYI. <laughs> you know what you're getting when you come into it. So let us pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you distilled your thoughts down into a book, condensed them into 66 books. Just condensed some of them, Lord. We know there's more thoughts than we could possibly imagine that are available for us, Father. Lord, I can't help but... Um, not just cry out for those that um, are in desperate need tonight, Father. Lord, I don't know, as I go through these four soils, and the first two being for unbelievers and the last two being for believers, Father God, I don't know people's hearts in here. And Lord, I just pray that, that no one's going to leave this room, no one's going to leave this campus, Lord, and not be sure that they're at least in the third soil. They're at least in. With no doubt, Lord, they've taken a hold of what you told us in John 10, that they have life. What you promised us in John 3, that, that if we look upon you and we believe in your name, that we can have eternal life, Lord. But Lord, I pray for those believers that are in here. But I pray for those third soil believers here. Lord, I pray that today they will make the first step to move on to be fourth soil believers, fourth soil Christians. I pray for the one in here who thinks they don't need this message. They already believe they're in the fourth soil. Lord, I pray that you would speak a deep, penetrating word to us, that we would go from 30 to 60 and from 60 to 100-fold and from 100-fold to 150-fold. Why not? Lord, use me. Lord, as far as I know, everything is right with me and man and between you and me. I'm submitted to the authority and all I can do is open my hand and I ask you to fill it with your word. Open my mouth and fill it with your word. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be reading tonight from the parable of the sower in Matthew. Uh, it is also in Luke. It is also in Mark. I started to take the time to figure out, you know, okay, it's, it's one of only seven parables that are And I thought, why does it really matter if it's mentioned in all the other ones? So I did. So we're going to start in verse 1, Matthew 13. Please, if you have your Bible, please turn to it. Um, please turn to it. Beginning, I'm reading the ESV version. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. I just, okay, I just have got to stop right there. Do you love that Jesus just sat beside the sea? Yeah. I just love that. You know, I'm, I don't know who said it. Who said it? That they just... It's busy, life is busy, and they think they got, oh, it was Yuffie, I think, that said that they just, she needs to do and do and do and do, and how can you go to Colorado and relax? I mean, doesn't she know people are dying and going to hell? <laughs> but Jesus sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other, the other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. 
Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Oh, Lord, may we have ears. And then go ahead and over to 18. We're going to skip over about why he does parables. And skip over to 18 about the explanation about what's going on. Because the disciples didn't understand it, and he asked, what's, you know, what's the deal? I don't understand this. Don't you love that he didn't get mad at them? You know, there are no stupid questions. If you don't understand a passage, you don't understand a word, you don't understand why, ask him. He'll guide you. He'll show you. Verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. That's really important. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit, and it yields in one case 100, and another 60, and in another 30. The first soil, it's very obvious. That is seed that was scattered, and the seed is the same. Okay, so the problem is always with the soil, FYI. We don't need to change the gospel. We don't need to change the Bible. The problem is with the soil. That's the problem. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. We don't need the new translation, the new version. We don't need to go back and figure out the Greek and Hebrew. They have done that. For centuries, for centuries, the problem is with the soil, and the problem is the soil of our heart. The prayer I often pray in my house, pull, I mean, pray for me personally, please bring your plow chair out and plow up the hard places in my heart. Plow up those hard places in my heart so I'll have good soil. So the first soil is the path, just the path. That's where it was taught. The seed was scattered. There was no even attempt to grow down. There was nothing. This is the person that you share Christ with or the person that has absolutely no desire to hear the word. Don't stop not telling them, though, FYI. Because they probably still might. We never know when the path is going to stumble into a little crack. Who's seen a plant growing up out of a sidewalk? Hard path. It found the place. Never not share. If you think, well, they're never going to receive it, share it anyways. God will work on the soil. But that's who that receives. The second person that received is the person that received it. They liked it. Hey, this is kind of cool. This seems something kind of new. Kind of go in with my yoga and go in with my, you know, transcendental meditation and I'll plug right in here. And I, you know, I listen to Oprah and she says we should be involved in religious things. And Okay, so this is, this is good. I like this. It's rocky though. And there's no root. That means they weren't grafted in. They're lost. I believe there's a huge chunk of people who sit in the Christian church uh, every Sunday that sit in my church at First Baptist Houston and sit in your church, wherever that is, and even sit in Edisto Beach Baptist Church that are lost. They receive it with joy and they are going about the motion, but they are not grafted into the vine. There is no root. There is no root. And you can, that's, that's an easy process. You can be grafted in. The third soil, and in some ways the most tragic soil, and what I want to spend the most time on this evening is the soil that falls around the thorns. And in this case, we've, I mean, you've seen a thorn. It's not completely covered up. I mean, the thorns, you can get through down to the ground, establish a root, and then as they try to grow up, the thorns around it choke it out, and it becomes unfruitful. It wasn't tossed away. It still grew. It was Charles Spurgeon in the message. He says it was like, it was a tree full of leaves, but there was no fruit. And unfortunately, and this is my heart's cry, that we would not walk out of here third soul Christians. That we would not allow the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth and the pleasure for other things is what other, the other translations, the other parable, other chapters, other books say in Luke and Mark. That we wouldn't walk out of here like that. Now, we would start changing what the cares of our world are and this deceitfulness of wealth and quit believing those lies. And that we'd walk out fourth-soul fourth Christians. Because, see, John 10.10 10 says that Jesus came 
Jesus came, the thief came to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life. That's eternal life. That's salvation. That's going to glory. That's when I die, I know I'm going to go to heaven. That life and abundant life. And that's here. I talk about it and I think this is so important for us to understand really what's going on. We're a triune being and that's a whole other teaching I could get into. But we're made up of our, our, our soul and our spirit and our flesh. And what happened is over here upon salvation for every one of us, whether it's today or whether it was 100 years ago or 50, depending, over here salvation happened. And that's called justification. And what happened is our soul became alive. We were justified just as if we've never sinned. It's a past action, never to be repeated. It's done, it's completed. We were justified. Okay, fast forward, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, a decade. When we die or Jesus comes back, we're going to be glorified. And in that glorification, our body, our fleshly body, praise God, praise God, will be made new. And we will be glorified. Okay, past tense, justification. It deals with the spirit. Future tense. It's called glorification. It deals with the flesh. From that point of salvation until that point of glorification, we're in a process called sanctification. And it deals totally, 100% with our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. How many of us, if we got our mind, our will, and our emotions really tied in and started living in the spirit and quit living in the flesh, we wouldn't have any problem with being overweight or eating or all that stuff. It's right here. This is where the work is. This is where the work is. We're living in the quarry. You know that? We're living in the quarry. It says in um, Solomon, when he was building the temple, it was probably 1st or 2nd Kings. 2nd Kings chapter 12, I think, is where it is. He was building the temple. And they said that at the temple grounds, there was no rock or hammer or chisel was heard on the temple grounds. Over in the quarry, they were chipping away at the rocks, and they would chip away at the rock, the block, the brick, whatever was needed, and they would take that stone, they would transport it to the Holy of Holy, to the temple place, and slide it in. Perfect fit. We are, what does Peter say to us? Temple. We are the temple, and we are the living stones. That he's going to build the temple in glory, in heaven. And so what he's got to do is he's got to chisel us away. He's got, you know, why does Keith Green die when he was whatever? You guys are, who remembers Keith Green? Okay, seven of us in here remember Keith Green. <laughs> but, you know, he died so good because he finally got it right. He walked through this sanctification process a lot faster. I really believe that. I really believe that. I'm like, if I die at 50, I'm happy. If the long as the sanctification process happens. But I want to live as long as I can to do his work and his glory and his might. So we are, we are living in the quarry. And so, praise God, there was a time in my life he needed to use a blooming jackhammer. You know? I mean, there was just such a mess. He saw the potential, but there was a mess. There was a mess. Now he's occasionally using some hard tools and some power tools, but every once in a while it can be just sand. So, or sandpaper. So, <laughs> my question for you guys is, what soil are you? What soil are you? Are you the first soil? Are you the second soil? Are you the third soil? Are you the fourth soil? I want to deal a little bit with the third soil. And those of you who know or think you're in the fourth soil, be listening because I have got a challenge for you as well. It says in there, in verse 22, the cares of the world. And that same word is from 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties upon God because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 is what that is. And the root, word of that, the root word of that has to deal with distraction. The cares of the world are distraction. I took a moment, and I even shared some with Vicki, just kind of run through, what are some of the cares of this world? And here are a few that I have. Grocery shopping, rebellious children, tire rotations and oil changes, mm -hmm, dry cleaning, dancing with the star finals. Come on. College football games. Grandchildren, house cleaning, vacations, PTA, PTO, or whatever they call it now, war in Iraq, traffic. I'm sorry? Roots collar. Oh, I like that. 
That is, that is a pure, righteous act of the Lord. That has nothing to do with cares of the world. Uh, he, I'm so thankful for the bottle. Woo! The dye, the dye bottle. The dye bottle, of course, the dye bottle. Some of the other cares. Fixing mill, mills, elderly parents, your spouse, retirement accounts, tuition cost, worry. What are some of the other cares? What are some of the cares that you guys deal with? Aging. Work. Work. Oh, I didn't put that on there. Money. Money. Hobbies. Hobbies. They will suck us dry. Scrapbooking. <laughs> Cares of the world. Cares of the world. Now, the heart of these things, many of these things are good things. And many of these things are not unrighteous things. They're good things. But are they the best? And in your involvement and in your intensity and in the time and effort you have to spend emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually on those areas, is it choking out the word or is it not? Is it choking out your fruitfulness or is it not? I can't answer that for you. Nance, Tricia, Gina, I can't answer that for you. You guys have got to answer that. What's it doing? Is it glorifying God or is it not glorifying God? I want to hit just one second on deceitfulness of wealth. And I think deceitfulness of wealth is such, the key with that, especially in us in America, is such a self-reliance. We become so self-reliant because we think money can buy everything. If I had enough, or, if I, if I, or maybe I have it, I can buy love. I mean, how many, you buy, you know, you can't spend time with kids, so you buy them a gift. This will show them I love them. No, there's only one way you spell love with a kid. T-I-M-E. That's it. We think we can buy peace. We think we can buy health. We think we can buy happiness, solutions, salvation. People think they can buy salvation. Well, I give to my, you know, I pay my taxes and I'm, I tie to the church. I'm going to heaven. No, that's not how it works. It was already paid for. We think we can buy protection. Goodness gracious. I love riding bikes. And I'm so grateful that Bob and Dee Dee got into bikes because they talked their neighbors into buying bikes and they didn't like them at all, so they gave them to Carol. And so I get to ride the bikes that Dee Dee and Bob's neighbors bought. And I love the bikes because I feel like a kid. And I'm, this is getting me to the protection because I do not wear a helmet. In Jesus' name. I don't wear a helmet because what I love about being on a bike is I feel like a kid. And when I was a kid, I was invincible and immortal and I was going to live forever. And I, and I do. And if I get severe brain damage, will somebody please come and change my diaper? I mean, it just... <laughs> I'm willing to take the risk, girls. I'm willing to take the risk. But we think we can buy... I know it's a law in Texas, too. Well, you, you even bought one. I did buy one because I was feeling a little convicted, but I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. So, uh, for conviction. Conviction. Well, the Lord just dropped a verse in my head that I need to, so, okay. Romans 13. <laughs> Romans 13. I'll just tell it to you. Conviction is the gift that keeps on giving, so I feel if I get convicted, I need to share you guys with my conviction. <laughs> Romans 13 says that you're supposed to submit to all authority. And it says that government authorities are, are ordained of God. And if you walk in obeying them, you have no fear. If you disobey, then you have fear. Just recently, about two years ago, after probably the who knows how many tickets, I learned that the DOT is an authority over me. <laughs> and my prayers of, Lord, please don't let a state trooper stop me when I'm speeding, are going for not. Because <laughs> they're unfruitful. Underline that. So I praise God for cruise control. So now I'm convinced that I have to wear a helmet. But if I was not, that's ruining my illustration. But the point is, we, can, we buy all this stuff. We've got more helmets and more. And kids still break their arms. And accidents still happen. And people still get hurt. We can't protect ourselves away. We can't buy it away. Deceitfulness of wealth. Not all these things are bad, as I said. But what are the, what's the best? What's the best? Really evaluate your life. And we'll talk about that. The word choke. I think this is interesting. Luke 8, 40 through 42 is where I'm going to go. Go with me if you'd like. Luke 8, verse 40 and 42. Okay, now I'm hot, but I'm preaching, so. <sighs> okay, Cindy's comfortable. It's all about, it's all about Cindy. I'll start taking this tunic off, and then you'll be saying, turn it on. 
Okay, so we're looking at the word choke. It says in there that the, the, the thorns of the cares and the deceitfulness of our lives, deceitfulness of wealth, choke out the fruit. And the same Greek word is also used in this version. And, of course, I would have just read the end of 42, but I really like to get the whole context. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. I love Jesus. You know, because I have an agenda, and when people mess with my agenda, I don't always respond well. And don't you think when he returned home that he would, did not want to have a crowd of people waiting for him? That his agenda probably was to put his feet up and just relax and enjoy what was going on. Because he had a, I mean, I think that I got important things that I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, he was saving the world. And really compared to saving the world and healing somebody's son, I mean, as I see it, Jesus didn't see it this way, but I see it as like, mm, you know, what's my return? You know, I'm a business person, so what's my leverage? What's my ROI? You know, is this really worthy of taking the time and effort to do that? But Jesus, mm. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And the care came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him, Come to my house, for he had an, an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. I can't wait to meet her. Because she's got to have been pretty special. That, the, that Jairus, this ruler of the synagogue, only had a daughter. But he still wanted to... And only at that time, that was just a... It was a, a, a debit. I mean, it was just a challenge. You know, i got to pay for her to get married. i got to take care of her if she doesn't get married. You know, and the only child? Who's going to take care of us in our old age? But he loved her, obviously. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. He had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went. The people pressed around him. That, that translation where it says pressed around him is the same Greek word that was used for, for um, choke. And so it's a slow fade. These cares of the world, it's a slow fade. I had a bowl constrictor when I was growing up. That's for another story for another time. But a bowl constrictor sneaks up on you, coils around you, and just slowly squeezes the life out of you. And the cares of the world will do the very same thing to our lives if we let them. If we let them. And they will choke it out, and it is a slow fade. And before we know it, we are saying things like, I used to do that. I used to do that. What happened to Susie? You know, we go to Sunday school, and somebody hasn't been there. And we think, where? And we look at the role, and she hasn't been there for three months. What happened to Susie? Cares the world, things can happen, things move along, we've got things to do, important things. And then unfruitful. And I think it's important, and I won't steal Vicki's story because she's got a great story to tell on Wednesday. I won't steal it, I promise. Just set you up. Set you up to hit a home run. But unfruitful. And this is really what it said, Vicki. I'm not making this up. It's not yielding, it's not yielding what you ought to yield. It's not yielding what you ought to yield. So you cannot, I love this, because I am such a, I'm a champion comparer. I can compare everything. Weight loss, money, good looks, who's married to who, your kids, and I'm always comparing them with me. Okay? I mean, that's, I just, that's my problem. But you know what it says? It's up to what they ought to yield. And so what their yield is, is their yield, and what my yield is, is my yield. I mean, it goes back to when I first came to Christ, I have always been rather demonstrative in my faith. And, um, and I go to the traditional service, don't I, Bob and and I get pretty, you know, they're up there in the choir, you know, and I'm running the ox. Me and one other person, I think, but God love us. And, um, and so I used to think, I used to think, well, if you don't raise your hand in worship, you just don't love Jesus like I do. Obviously, it is obvious. You know, how do you, you know, how do you sit during that song? Give me a break. Don't you know who Jesus is? Well, you know I'm getting a lesson on that one. And so the Lord took me, because he loves to give me sports analogy, and he took me uh, to a baseball game, and he said to me, Becky, you see that gentleman down there who is tracking every pitch, every out. He knows the stat of every single player, whether they're a starter or whether they're not a starter. And he sits in his chair, and they score a run, and he never moves. And you see this guy over here? 
who jumps up and down and is excited and is jubilant and every strike he yells at the umpire if it's against him and every ball he's cheering him out and every ball he is up on the seats running out. Who do you think loves baseball or this team more? So I learned how to keep the books. <laughs> but I still run and shout and jump up and down and get mad. Man, it spoke to me. We need to not compare. Your fruitfulness, all you need to do is look at your fruitfulness. And you can't say, well, how many times did you share Jesus this week? Well, I shared it five times. And don't think because you just shared it three times doesn't make you less of a person. It's your potential. Vicki Heath, I show those pictures to Vicki, and most people say, you know, where is Becky? And Vicki says, because she, see, she believes in the potential in me, and she says, the beautiful person was always there. Yes. She believes in the potential in me. And God has produced inside of each one of us seeds that will bear great fruit, unbelievable potential for his kingdom and his glory. But we allow the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth to choke it out. We choose it. The seed is not the problem. The soil is the problem. If you're not producing what you think you need to or want to or desire to produce for God, it's our fault. It's my fault. And again, I say, I am without excuse. And neither are you. And so are you, maybe. Whatever the right thing on that. A couple of things Charles Spurgeon said that I thought was great. And this was a sermon was from 1888. So much about then about the seed. It was a good seed. It was sown. It was received by the soil. It grew and promised well, but yet in the end it was unfruitful. No doubt multitudes who receive Christianity become regular attenders at our place of worship and are honest in their moral character. But Christ is not all in all to them. He holds a very secondary place in their affections. Their wheat is overshadowed with the thickest of thorns and is so choked that it comes to nothing. Their religion is buried underneath their worldliness. He goes on to say, and I love these next two verses, next two um, quotes that he says, Our evil nature is radically conservative. And it will endeavor, this is the flesh over here that we're talking about. Because our soul will either choose to walk in the spirit or our, our soul will walk in the, in the flesh. And that flesh is radically conservative. And it will crush out every attempt at a revolution by which the grace of God should reign through righteousness. See, and he says this too. He says, grace is exotic. It's that unique, unique flower that takes work and effort. Thorns, by default, are indigenous. The thorns are indigenous. But grace and righteousness and hope and peace and the fruit of the Spirit that we'll get into, those things take work. Does that make sense? Yeah. If we can, if we just, you know, say, well, you know, I'm just, you know, a slacker. No, you, you can't just, you either walking in righteousness or you're walking in unrighteousness. You're walking in the light or you're walking in darkness. You can't be just halfway. Well, I'll get back on the program. No, either you're on the program or you're not on the program. You're either for me or you're against me. Jesus is the one. Jesus spoke hard. Jesus spoke hard with great love and great compassion. Every single time the church got big when Jesus was leading, every time he preached a hard message, and they fell away. And what did he say to disciples? Are you going to leave me too? And what did he say? What did they say? No. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? Where else can we go? There ain't nowhere else we can go. Preventing the cares of this world and avoiding the deception of wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth, it's work. It's work. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 says this. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. And I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a, rot, like a mass bandit and want like an armed man. It doesn't take much. That was Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. It doesn't take much. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. It's just a little slumber. It's just a little sleep. It's just a little folding of the hands. 
I think I used this very same thing when I did the DVD on Quiet Time. You know, we little, we'd go pull those covers up, you know, and then all of a sudden we're a day, a week, a month down the road, and all of a sudden we're, we thought, when was the last time I read my Bible? Or how about pull your journal out and it was, you know, seven days ago the last time you wrote something in it. Or pull your Bible study out and you're having to do 14 days and, you know. <laughs> I have never done that. No. I have done it. I have absolutely done that. So, okay. So how do we tend to our thorns? How do we tend to our thorns? Give me 15 more minutes and I will be done. Or at least you can leave and I'll just keep preaching. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. You know, other than the Gospels, the first four books of the Bible, all the rest of the books of the Bible were written to believers and it's instructions for life. These weren't written to the lost. These are written to believers, and it's amazing what they say in there. What we need to do to tend to the thorns is we need to put on, put off and put on. Put off and put on. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ who is, and I, wrote, I, I write in my Bible, I crossed out your life and I wrote Becky's life. When Christ, who is Becky's life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put on death, therefore, that what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. And I'm just telling you, I'm just going to share convictions, again, is a gift that keeps on giving. When I read this the other day in preparation, I read covetousness, and, and then it says, which is idolatry. And I just thought, because I had probably said these very same things the previous day, I said, well, you know, I just wanted it. Well, that's covetousness, guys. I just wanted it. I just wanted that extra piece of pie. I just wanted that dress. I just wanted that man. I just wanted that job. I just wanted, I just wanted. That, the Bible says, if you covet, it's idolatry. I'm just reading. Somebody didn't proof this before account out. <laughs> On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. But praise God, we don't have to suffer that wrath. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger. Wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, in, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not a Greek or a Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. And here we go. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, Patience. Okay, who likes these? I mean, all those take work. But man, man, that's what we're supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to respond. We're supposed to put those things on. Bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Grace them. Just as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these, put on love, which binds everyone together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all for the glory of God. So you've got to put off all that yucky stuff, put off that anger, put off that malice, put off that wrath. And let me tell you, you want to get a, here's a study you can do. Take that and either get the amplified version or get a concordance. Blueletterbible.com is a great way to do that if you can't afford a concordance. Look up every single one of those words that you can really clearly give a definition. What does anger really look like? And Lord, what does it look like in me? What does malice really mean? What does it look like in me? What does wrath look like? What does it look like in me? Where are those things? Let us know those things. It's just like what Nick said. I almost jumped out of my chair when Nick said, we're all about self-examination. We need to be about self-examination. And praise the Lord, I've got friends in my life that will come to me and say, Becky, you are acting in anger and wrath and malice, but how much better it is when I can catch it. I can catch it. Amen. I just caught it over here just when I was setting up, didn't I, Vicki? Mm -hmm. I caught myself about to be not doing right things, and I did it right. I'm not going to, for time's sake, I'm not going to share, but 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10 talks about adding to our faith, brotherly love, um, kindness, um, Gentleness, I think those are all in there. All those things, those are another list that you can work through. You can pick one that you feel like you're weak in. Pick that one and work on that for a week. First Peter, or 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10. 
Lastly, in closing, I'm just going to give you four A's. Four A's that, of course, my, you know, you got to be laughing when I say in closing. You understand that, don't you? Now I'm getting to the meat of the message. All that was preference. That was all introduction. No, seriously. How do you see the fruit? And I asked the Lord, how do we see the fruit, Lord? How do we see fruitfulness in my life? Not just be fruit inspectors on somebody else. That's not my job. It's not my job to be fruit inspectors. My job is, is me. Take care of me. And so, Lord, how do I see in me some of these things? I can tell you, number one is attitude. <sighs> attitude. Are you a complainer? Are you a whiner? Are you content? Because you know what, brothers and sisters in Christ? We ain't got nothing we are sitting in this room today to complain about. Right. We have nothing to complain about. I'm not saying we don't have difficulties, and I'm not saying we have trials. My friend is redoing her kitchen, and, and she really, I mean, they're moving out and downsizing so they can go be debt-free. I mean, they're making wise choices, and she said, you know, Becky, I'm not being extravagant. I'm just redoing the kitchen. We're not going to go with granite. We're going to go with, you know, whatever, formica or whatever you do. That's not granite. And I said, Carrie, I love you, but listen, if you do not have to go gather wood and hang a pot over that fire to cook your supper, it's extravagant. It's extravagant. In our world today, we're like at 5%, 95%, 80%, 70% of the world has to go do that. One billion people, many of them brothers and sisters in Christ, live on a dollar a day. And they die for lack of water and food and housing. And we go buy lattes. And I buy lattes, but I'm telling you, I'm reading this book and I was getting my toes done. It was killing me. <laughs> killing me. Another billion live on less than $2 a day. What we pay for half of a latte, 2 billion people live on and die on every day. What are we doing? We ain't got nothing to be complaining about. And you want to know what you need to be calling out? And that's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the attitudes we need to have. Love them. Grace them. Peace them. Joy them. Defer. I hate deferring, but defer. <laughs> he doesn't really care about us having a right attitude to him. I could be, I'm doing this, Lord, and I am not liking any bit of this. I'm doing it, though, because I know I'm supposed to do it. You see me doing this? I see you doing it. Okay. I'm doing it. They don't know that I've got a bad attitude. The Lord cares about that. Number two, actions. I just I, 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 I'm not legalistic. I'm not going to tell you, you know, how many times you need to read the Bible, how much you need to read the Bible, whether you go to church, if you go to church on vacation or don't go to church on vacation. I mean, I can't tell you those things. You know those things. But your actions, I know the people that I love, I want to spend time with. And if I don't spend time in the Word and I don't spend time in prayer and I don't spend time journaling, I really am not really spending good quality time with my Lord and Savior. And I can tell when I'm not, lo he's not, I'm not loving Him like I want to. So church attendance, prayer, Bible reading, evangelism, Bible study, I mean, you can go on and on. Don't get caught up in the programs. Don't get caught up in the legalisms. But those actions will tell you are they fruit or not in your own personal life. And don't tell anybody else how many scriptures you're memorizing. Don't. <clears throat> If God's calling you to a deeper walk in scripture memorization, memorize them. Tell somebody else to be accountable. But it's just between you and them. And if God calls you to do something with it, great. But if not, I'm telling you, it's worth, I'll pay you to memorize scripture. It's so valuable. <laughs> atmosphere. Number three, your atmosphere. I'm a Facebook fanatic. It's probably cares of the world. I wrote a blog on it. <coughs> But I love living a life where the kimono can be open, and I don't care what I'm doing, I can put it on Facebook. Because I live too much of my life living a life and living a lie that I couldn't have anybody in the world look at it and not be ashamed. I'm glad I finally lived that. So what is it like in your home? What's the atmosphere in your car? What's the atmosphere in your workplace? If I were to walk in and start opening cabinets, Start flipping through books that you had. Start watching DVDs that you're watching. Start going with you to movies. Start opening your checkbook and seeing what you're spending your money on. Is it fruit of the Spirit? Or is it not? Is it bearing fruit for God's glory or not? And then finally, apologies. I didn't like this one. I didn't want to write this one down, but I did. How often?
often are you saying, I'm sorry, to God and to man? How often are you saying, I'm sorry? I mean, that really is a real thing, because you know, none of us are perfect, and we are always messing up. And I'm not going to tell you, if you haven't said I'm sorry in you know, three days, then you're probably not living righteous. I don't know what that is. You know? But I know I have to say I'm sorry a lot. Because conviction of sin is a good thing. It is a good thing. And the deeper you walk and the deeper you spend time, the longer you spend time with the Lord in this walk, those four things will become deeper and deeper and you'll think you would have cleaned it out once and there'll be another clean out that you need to do, another sweep, another come through, another take care of, another area. You know, because it was a jackhammer at first, you know, in the quarry. And now he's down to just maybe a chip or a chisel kind of thing or whatever tools you use to do that. And then sometimes it's sandpaper. My prayer is that the Lord would change me more in this next year than he did in my very first year of salvation. That there would be such a radical change in me in the next 12 months compared to what it was the first 12 months. And we would say, whoa. And you saw it. You saw the change. God is doing a great work. And I'm so grateful. Carol blesses me because she does tell me, Becky, you've changed since I've met you five years ago. And it's mostly for the good, I'm thinking. It is. It's for the good. It is for the good. It's for the good. You girls and guys that are our fourth soil, and I know you're in here. But it, there's some areas in our lives that we're third soil, and let's just acknowledge that, that we bring in the cares of the world. Oh, yeah. But those of us that are fourth soil are, are a lot of times, or we're there sometimes. I mean, I've just got to hit on mentoring. I've got to hit on discipleship. I mean, Joe's not here by accident. I am who I am today because there are ten women in my life, and it took a village. There are ten women in my life who have deeply and significantly invested in my life. And have spent time with me and cared with me and loved me and cried with me and chewed my butt out when I needed to be chewed out. And set me on the course of righteousness. Because somebody chose to disciple me and mentoring. Who are you mentoring? Who is under you? You older women, who are you teaching? It's not pastor's job to teach them how to love their husband. Because he can't. It's not his call. And we won't receive it, girls. We won't. Who are you teaching to love their children? Who are you teaching to take, be keepers of their home? It says over in Titus 2, 3 through 5, it says that the, younger woman, the older women need to teach the younger women to be sane. And there is a little bit of me that I really had to work through. Because you know what? Nobody taught my mama to be sane. So mama didn't teach me to be sane. And I did some crazy things that today, today, October 10, 2010, I'm still dealing with the consequences. Shame on us if the future generation is crazy because we didn't teach them. Because we didn't teach them. Shame on us. And girls, just one more point on that. At the end of 5, Titus 3 through 5, at the end it says, if that doesn't happen... The word of God, and the Amplified says this, the word of God will be blasphemed, discredited, and rebuked. The men don't have that little caveat at the end of theirs. Osama bin Laden had a mommy, and so did Billy Graham. What are we raising? Who are we ministering to? Because the word of God today is being discredited, rebuked, and um, maligned. And I believe it falls at the feet. I'm taking responsibility for my part. Are you going to take responsibility for your part? In closing, let me read what Charles, how Charles, I mean, Charles, I've already used him a bunch. Let's, let me just read what Charles Spurgeon said. And then I'm going to play a song, and I want you guys to just listen to it, and we'll, we'll close with the song. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, well, says one, but there are the thorns. Charles responds, and he says, I know there are. They were here when our blessed Lord came among us, and they made him a cruel crown. Are you going to grow more of them? May I urge you to give up cultivating thorns. They are useless. They come to no good. Whatever the pursuit is, short of the glory of God, it is a thorn and there is no use in it. It will in the end be painful to you as it is to your Lord. A thorn will tear your flesh. It will tear your heart, especially when you come to die. Will these thorns be your pillow? 
Even if you die in the Lord, it will grieve your heart to think that you did not live more for Jesus. If you live for these things, and you will rue, rue the day, for they are like thorns, painful in the getting, painful in the keeping, painful in the extracting. You who have had a thorn in your hand know what I mean. Worldly cares come with pain, they stay with pain, and they go with pain. Let me share this song.
Amen. Amen. <laughs>